Good evening. Good evening, How are you doing, gentlemen? Very well, thank you. Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, first off, welcome, Neil. Uh, great to have you with us today. Um, uh, Neil, do you want to say a little bit about who you are, uh, how you managed to get roped in to join us two idiots on this tonight? Uh, and then, yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah, well, thanks very much for inviting me. And uh, um, Neil Roach, uh, sports psychologist, uh, done um, uh, a fair amount of work uh, within hockey. A um, little bit of coaching, not at uh, not at any particular level. Did some national league stuff um, in uh, in in the early two thousands into up to about two thousand and ten. Um, predominantly working at the moment within football, um, providing sports psych support. Um, and how I got roped into it, I'm beginning to wonder that myself, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting here thinking, how am I sitting here? Um, uh, <laughs> came across uh, met Matt Gibbo as a result of uh, some work that I did delivering at a UK coaching national conference a couple of years ago. Uh, and did uh, did a, a couple of sessions during that conference with a whole range of coaches from a whole load of different sport backgrounds, and uh, uh, he was part of my team of of, of kind of role players uh, in a in a sports like scenario, and uh, took on the role very well. And, yeah. uh, and and of course, when somebody does a job for you like that, and they give you the call to say, "Can you come on here?" Well, here I am. Yeah, I thought I'd call a small favour in, but yeah. That's how, that's how, <laughs> how was that thing? Was it any good? Well, yeah, people we, thought it was me. People thought I was genuinely the coaching question. When I wasn't, I was I was reading Neil's script. So I must have done an okay job. He, he was he was so he was so believable. I gave him I gave him a tough role. I, I, I you know he had to play the role of being a coach, and he he okay. very nearly he very nearly carried it off. It was it was, it was it was almost it was almost as though he he kind of you know knew what coaching was about. It was fabulous, uh, crazy, <laughs> winged it basically. It's all in the script. It's all in the script. So we gave. I, know I had that really difficult task, and I've gave Roach this little tap in, and we're calling it quits after this. So. Yeah, <laughs> um, so we're, we're going to be joined by Tess, aren't we? She's just finishing a, a training session. So, uh, we're my motivation for getting Neil on goes back to an earlier podcast where me, Mike, and Tess were talking a little bit about player anxieties, coach anxieties, people worrying about a third lockdown, not being able to play the sport they love, and how to, how to support um, themselves and others through that time. So. Neil's name came up in that conversation and here we are. Um, so I think what we'll probably do is brief what Tess mentioned in our sort of prep for this show and then when Tess joins us, we'll just go straight in. So yeah. the first bit was sort of from Tess's perspective, she was talking a little bit around uh, coming out of having a period off to resume in quite a difficult block of training with this new year, 2021, there'd been like significant selection pressure. So there was a little bit around performance anxiety and player expectations, which when Tess joins the call, I'm sure she'll get into a bit more. But what are your general thoughts on those two topics and how particularly young developing players can sort of deal with those pressures? Um, it, it is a tough time. 
uh, and I think more than anything, uh, the, the, the key word for me here is uncertainty. Uh, uncertainty pretty much underpins anything that occurs in terms of the anxieties that we experience. And, and of course, for all kinds of reasons, there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment. You know, you, you mentioned about selection there and you mentioned about, you know, coming back after a period of, of inactivity. Well, you, you've, you've just, you know, immediately um, uh, exposed to two levels of uncertainty. Selection has its own uncertainties. Um, and of course, when you've either been training by yourself or you've not, you know, and you've not played for a period of time, there is that added uncertainty of not knowing um, what other people have been up to, not knowing how you're going to to perform when you come back into that, uh, you know, team team type scenario. And so I think for me, you know, it, it's a case of just perhaps to a certain extent normalizing that. Um, you know, everybody's going to be experiencing it. Everybody's going to be feeling the same anxieties. And, you know, in, in some ways, it, if, you, if you're working in a group scenario, I think I think the first thing I, I probably want to do is 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 let everybody know what everybody else is. Sorry. Let everybody else know what, what it is that you're feeling. So I think normalizing it becomes quite useful because then you, you set a, a slightly different baseline to previously. And once you start to realize that actually everybody is going through the same thing, um, you know, you, you can get to the stage where you become anxious about being anxious. Uh, whereas if you, if you, if you, you know, if you, if you do, if you, if you have this realization that actually everybody else is, is, is feeling the same as you, um, you still have to deal with it, but, but it doesn't make it something which is extraordinary. Um, and so, yeah, the, the certainty is, the uncertainty is certainly, I think that the, the, the underpinning of a lot of the issues that arise. So anything that you can do, which, which addresses that, I think is, is quite important. Really, really cool point. Matt, do you have something? Yeah, no, it was just really a question. So you, obviously you mentioned there about normalising it. Are there any kind of, uh, and you said about kind of um, making, obviously people realise that we're all in the same boat. Like it's been a really tough kind of nine months now. It feels like far longer, but it's, you know, tough old nine months. How, have you got any kind of mechanisms or anything that would help, you know, obviously, um, not only just your elite athletes, but also, you know, maybe some 16, 17 year olds who are maybe potentially looking to like their junior England tryouts or, you know, just maybe getting on the fringe of the first team and then be locked down again. Like, you know, they've got different anxieties as well, but are there any mechanisms to like um, help them get through and, and create that normalization? Um, oh, I think, I think the, as I mentioned there, one of the ways of doing it and, and that can be stimulated by, by coaches or it can be stimulated by individuals. I think it's more difficult to be stimulated by individuals to, to actually have a chat with the other people in your team and your squad. Uh, maybe if you're competing against others for a place in a squad, that becomes a little bit more difficult. But just just articulating what your emotions are and, and, and how it's affecting you, because I think I, I think that has, you know, has, has quite a, uh, a big impact. Uh, and I think I think for me, one of the one of the biggest things is that what tends to happen is that there tends to be this culture based around compensating for lost time, mm. this kind of hurry up. And, and inevitably, yeah. you know, that 
that has its impact as well. Um, because once you start to rush things, that that starts to heap anxiety, you know, upon the anxiety that that people may already be experiencing because you, you, you think you've got to all of a sudden, you know, do things at a greater rate. Um, you know, you've got to – this idea of catch-up, and, and I think this is probably something that it, – it's almost – an, an unsaid kind of culture change when you come back from from any period, whether we're in COVID or not. You know, we, you talk about injuries and and an upcoming upcoming selections or matches or, or whatever it may be. Uh, any scenario where the culture kind of gets based around the idea of compensating for lost time has all kinds of dangers attached to it. Uh, and I think I think what you end up doing is you end up looking for a curve which has got greater acceleration and all that ends up resulting in is is actually a whole load of deceleration because it it brings around a whole load of factors that uh, and behaviors thought processes um, and behaviors which which end up being counterproductive and and maladaptive as well um, you know you get you get greater number of injuries and 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 you know there's a whole load of things that all of a sudden especially for the youngsters a whole load of things that you just don't get as much time to do. You you don't get as much time to in between sessions to be able to reflect on what coaches have said. You don't get an opportunity to be able to think about the feedback that you've given been given. And so this kind of slow burn process of understanding what coaches have said and what it is that they're after mm-hmm. kind of gets it becomes, you know, a little bit of a, a churn. It becomes a little bit of a maelstrom. I'm, I'm anxious uh, and, and I'm trying to catch up and I'm trying to reflect on what I've been told to do and I've got to get it in quickly. And I, all of a sudden, you, you're actually building upon what has already been there and and probably actually making it worse. And, and so, this, you, um, I'm sorry to interrupt. Do you think no, it's, ahead, part of that is um, obviously social media impact, people seeing maybe their friends doing additional training, their friends doing, you know, skill work, seeing all these workshops going up. And we'll talk from a coach's aspect in a second because I think that's a whole different ball ballgame. Um, but seeing all their friends maybe posting, oh, I've done this exercise, I've done this workout, I've attended this workshop and da-da-da. And maybe there's that feeling of, oh, my God, I need to attend everything to then feel like I'm moving forward and that I'm ready for when we get back. And that kind of, like you say, that that desire to hurry up. Yeah, I think, it's all, I think it's all pervasive, isn't it? You know, you, mm. if you've got friends that know that you, you know, you've got selection coming up, you know, how are you getting on? And they're asking the question. Um, you know, you've got you've got keen parents uh, who who you know have desires for 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 you and your career. They want you to do well, um, and and. And then, of course, you add the other layer of, of what you've just talked about in terms of social media, seeing other people, and all of a sudden it becomes kind of it becomes a merry-go-round, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yeah, I think if you put all of those things together, like I say, it's it's almost an un, unwritten. You, you just end up within this culture, yeah. uh, and it, it it can be uh, perpetuated by a lot of things and people. Um, yeah. around you you've seen in like a new um lot these lockdowns the last nine ten months you've seen a new sort of 
social media post, haven't you? The ones that almost uh, sort of shaming other pe- shaming people into not if you've not learned a language or a new skill during lockdown, you're wasting your time. Kind of per- kind of post, and I think if you're susceptible to that, and that's your feed, and you're taking that in every day, you're probably telling yourself you're you're wasting your days, you're not doing enough, and that that anxiety can build up over time. And it's not too different in the hockey world. If you see a lot of things happening, a lot of things, workshops, people doing stuff on skills mats, you might not have the space or the resource to do that. That can build up a, a picture of you getting left behind. And then that those feelings of catching up really get heightened. But it's uh, definitely a new thing I've noticed on all forms of social media, from like Twitter to LinkedIn, like the lockdown humble brag, the I'm doing this <laughs> with my lockdown, what are you doing type post. And I think they're a little bit nauseating. But and you know, they're not actually good for the who who are they helping? I don't yeah, just a bit of a rant there, Neil. Sorry, but I can see how they add to the uh, the anxiety. <laughs> I mean, I've still not learned how to make sourdough. I feel like I'm the only guy in the world who's not made sourdough. Yeah, so, make you know, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then moving, I think we'll, we'll revisit the player stuff when Tess comes back in. But I think from a from a coach aspect, I was. Um, delivering a course just today and talking to coaches about it we were talking about you know ideals and everything else and we had a break and I came back and I was I reflected during the small break and I was like actually we're not in a position where we can deliver to our ideal right now so I made a real point when I came back to them and talked to these coaches about making sure that they don't put pressure on themselves to feel like they have to execute everything that everyone ever says particularly when we come out of lockdown I think there's going to be a load of coaches thinking oh my god I've got to do a thousand and one things and I think that's something which we've got to be really careful of as as people are then delivering that to others like uh, care and responsibility to ourselves because that then is going to reflect on our players do you have you seen um coaches like managing well struggling like how have you seen coaches kind of dealing with the lockdown and then coming back out hopefully pretty soon yeah i think i think it's um just a reflection of people generally in society you know it's a, it's a it's a job um for some it's a pastime uh, uh for for others uh, and everybody is dealing with this in in their own way uh, i i do agree with you that we, we've just been talking about this catch up culture this compensating for time and, and i think you know, especially for coaches whose um, whole identity is based around being a coach, uh, it is is based around helping other people. When you've had a period of where you feel perhaps you've been a little bit inactive in fulfilling that identity, there is this this kind of desire to. Let let it let it all out that that's that's been frustrated for for that length of time and that period of time, and uh, and I think there is again that that's partly where that that danger we talked about social media we talked about parents I think coaches well meaning I have to say in a lot of circumstances but perhaps thinking right okay well you know is my first session back after lockdown you know I've I've got a I've got to do what we would normally do at this stage of the season, but I've also got to maybe reprise what we what we did when we last were together. And we've just got to, I've just got to make sure that all of those things that we did during the first part of the season are all ingrained as well. And now all of a sudden, you've got first session back or first couple of sessions back. You, you've, 
you've got three aims. Uh, and you've got the 101 new ideas that you've just been learning. Absolutely. podcast, reading 100 books, yep. attending 20-odd workshops. You've all of a sudden got only all these brand new ideas that you're like, oh, my God, I need to do all of these things. Yes. Like, and and I, think, I, think, I think that is made – I think, you know, that's inevitable. And, and to a certain extent, that's a good thing. You know, people trying to develop – you know, self-development and, and, mm-hmm. and trying to take – you know the, the 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 coaching. You know what what coaches deliver. Trying to take it forward and and get better themselves. Um, and, and you know that's that's an an honourable thing to to do. And and you know why wouldn't we applaud that? Um, I, I do think it's made worse in that situation where we what we 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 have coaches for whom coaching is their sole identity. Well, that resonated with me first time you said it, Neil, because the the first thing I thought about was lockdown one, I was definitely guilty of the workshop overloader. I'd do something on Twitter, you'd sign up, you'd do it, because it was not just the content, it was the interaction with other coaches, you got to feel like you were doing a version of your job. And then, like in this last lockdown, I was just saying to Mike before you joined us that I've done the same presentation on goal scoring four times in the last week for just doing it for nothing. <laughs> People just going and again, just feel like you're interacting with players and the coaches because you feel like, and my motivation for doing that is just to feel the feeling of being busy and a little bit of getting better at online delivery because part of me thinks this is here to stay to an extent doing stuff over on these formats. But um, yeah, that definitely resonated when you think you, it's you'd want to feel like you're doing a version of your job, even in these circumstances. And if you start to feel far removed from your job, that's something that I wouldn't be comfortable with. And having it or having like that extended period away, and it does beg the question: Well, why wouldn't you be comfortable with that? And that sort of made me reflect on a few things. Definitely, it, it, it does. It does cause an outflow. Mm. I, want, I want to be able to. I want to yeah. be able to, even even if even if you haven't done any any you know reflection or development over over lockdown periods as a coach, which which I suspect you know most. Most have taken the opportunity to do that, or indeed, Mike, to um, to learn how to bake sourdough. Um, <laughs> but but there is this, you know, there's this pent up. I, I'm I'm, you know, I'm not doing. I am a coach. Uh, I coach, and and I, I want to I want to be getting out there and you know delivering and helping others, but also getting the rewards um, as well. Uh, and of course, mm. one of the things that both is common between both players and coaches over this period of not being able to do what you normally do is that there's far less reinforcement that you're getting. You know, from a coaching point of view, you don't get to be able to go, oh, that was a good session or, mm-hmm. oh, that was a good session. You know, you don't get players coming up to you and, and, and asking you questions. You don't feel as though you're being as helpful. And, and so, and for players, you know, especially for those who, who more exclusively have whatever sport, we're obviously talking hockey at the moment, but whatever sport, more exclusively would normally on a day-to-day basis get their reinforcement from, from something that they're really good at and, mm-hmm. and not getting reinforcement. And for the youngsters, they're also not getting reinforcement from you know their mates. They're not getting reinforcement from a schooling perspective. Um, and so all of a sudden you've, you've taken away reinforcement especially of things that you happen to be good at mm-hmm. and and that's quite for a lot of people that's quite uncomfortable uh, and 
friend of mine was uh i've had two friends which had done some really big um uh expeditions so one did everest and one did antarctica and they talk a lot about what happens post expedition and that kind of uh like i was known for um the antarctica one it was a seven year preparation yep. so he was known as the guy that was going to do antarctica he then did it and it was like okay well well, what do I do now? Like, and it, his whole identity shifted literally overnight from I'm the guy that's doing this, I'm working up to it. Okay, well, I've, I've done it, but what what was the point? What was the meaning? Like, and that whole struggle of identity was so big. Um, and he's yeah, definitely someone I want to get on this as well. Um, very interesting guy called Joe Doherty. Um, and it, yeah, it's that that identity struggle, and I think that's that's I guess something which we're all going through right now. Obviously, Gibbo and myself are full time coaches. That's what we do. It's what we love. To not have that, you're then like, well, well, who am I? Like, what am I? Like, how do I fit in the world? And I think that's massive. So we're all dealing with a long term injury. The players have this when they have the the nine nine month recoveries on a bad injury. You get that. You hear players say, "I've lost. Feel like I'm losing my identity because I've lost my routine. I've lost my engagement." But kind of everyone's having that, apart from the massive rehab. But that lack of engagement, lack well, that that's the one, yeah, it's the main thing that we're not all going through. But the that lack of engagement, lack of routine, yeah, it's uh, filling. It's, you sometimes you just feel like you are filling the void. Yeah, it's it's um, I, you know it is it is a difficult scenario. Um, I suppose to a certain extent. You could argue that um, the, the way that you frame it, either as a coach or a player, uh, you know, this is this is a challenge. One one of the things that we know that sports people are good at is taking challenges on, um, and and you know, to a certain extent, if you if you frame the scenario uh, as being a challenge, and it's a challenge to overcome, and the opposition is lockdown and tears, both types, um, then, then you know, ways of overcoming that, ways of overcoming those those opponents actually becomes something that you can focus on. Um, and that, that becomes a challenge to overcome. And and there is a level of competitiveness and there is, you know, there's, that, that's one way of doing it. But it is definitely difficult um, in those circumstances. Just to go back to the coaching point, that Mike raised and just kind of reframe it. So what are the, you can, I don't know how to frame the question as a positive way or a negative way. I'm going to do it negatively to be controversial. What are the things that coaches should avoid with players? So what would be the big mistakes that a coach could make with players coming back out of this period in terms of managing expectations and um, maybe putting undue pressure on people after the, like as they resume play? So say three months down the line, we get back to doing some form of training. What would the what could the pitfalls be for a coach putting pressure on a player in that context, and how would you alleviate that? If that makes sense, um, it, it certainly does. Um, I it, it does depend a lot on how long we, we're going to be locked down for, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and and obviously the, the the first lockdown was a uh, much longer than I think people had a, an expectation of. Uh, I think we've already discussed one thing, uh, and that is for coaches when, when we do come back eventually, uh, for coaches 
for themselves, but also for the people that they're coaching to try to probably avoid the culture of catch up, the mm-hmm. compensating for lost time. Uh, I think if you, if you did nothing else, if you're, if you're kind of philosophy for coming back was based exclusively on trying to avoid that, you'd probably actually avoid a whole load of issues that, that, that would come about uh, that, that you, you would want to avoid. And uh, I, you know, I've, given, I've given a few, I've done a few webinars um, across different sports uh, and, and also for UK coaching. And I think that has been the, probably the, the biggest thing of the lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the other thing is, is something that we as humans all do. When we – to do with expectations, you mentioned the word expectations there. Yeah. Um, we, we, as, we as human beings, all of us, uh, when, when we think about, especially in a situation where somebody, you talked about selection earlier, and inevitably in a, in a coach performer, in a coach player interaction, there is, a, there is a level of there being a power dynamic there. In any situation where any of us have somebody who is potentially going to be evaluating us or that we look up to as, as human beings, when we look at that person and we have a think about what their expectations are of us, we tend to elevate our view of what those expectations are. Mm. And the difficulty in those circumstances is that, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a decent coach, the coach will know what you're capable of. So actually their expectations and what they ask you to do as a player are pretty much at the level of what you're capable of. Yeah, they they might be pushing you a bit, but they're pretty much around about that level. The difficulty is that if as human beings, we view others' expectations of us as higher than what they actually are, so we view that person's expectations as higher than what their actual expectations are, which one are we going to aim at? Yeah. We're going to aim the expectations that we think they have of us. Yeah. Now, if, if, if the way we view that person's expectations are inevitably high and higher than what we are capable of, we're going to be aiming at something that's not attainable. And, and there's, yeah. only, there's only ever going to be one conclusion from that, and that is going to be that it's going to end up with constant failure. Mm. It's constant failure against your perception of what somebody's expectations are of you. It's that because, perception that's the killer. That it's yeah, absolutely it's got no, it's got nothing to do with reality. It's got to do with the fact that we as human beings pretty much all view that person's expectations as higher of us because we want to. Um, we, we want to please them. We want to demonstrate that we, you know, we have ability. We want to, and especially in a selection scenario, that 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 does that gap tends to get 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 raised a little bit more as well. 
So what we end up with here is we end up with a situation where through probably no fault of the coach, performers will aim at something which is always going to result in them overreaching. If they're aiming at something that they're overreaching, a number of consequences come from that. The first is they're going to see quite a lot of failure (laughs) against matched against what what it is they're aiming for. Not necessarily against what. And actually, actually, in that circumstance, it's made worse by the fact that because you're overreaching, you actually end up not even achieving at the level that you're capable of. Yeah. So now we have a now we have a double failure because you have a failure in your own mind as a player because you haven't reached what you think those expectations are, and in the coach's mind, you haven't even reached what they think that you're capable of. So and how do so, we? Is, um, that's, that, that's the question I'd have. Yeah, I say, how do we guard against those perceptions of us then in the environments we're in? That, that's so because go back to the workshop you did two years ago when I was a guest on it, Neil. About everything, like you said, made a really good point about everything has pressure. Everything comes with pressure. Like your demeanour can create a perception of pressure. The badge on your chest, if you work in England or a Loughborough badge, that can create pressure. Yeah. Your uh, who you praise and how you do it creates a, a, a perception of where the level is. And like everything creates a bit of pressure for that player. So what are the things to be mindful of from a coaching background to guard against that ever-increasing perceived level of expectation? I think that there's one key thing which has two elements. And I, I know the response uh, that I've had from... A lot of coaches in a lot of sports, I'm not necessarily saying this is universal. I'm not saying your audience would, would necessarily give this answer. But um, one thing with two, two elements to it. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to let players know what it is that is your expectations. Mm. The difficulty is, as we've we've already seen, is that players will hear those words and they'll fill in the gaps. So they'll add their own. Tess has joined us. Hi, Tess. Sorry, in the middle of your sentence. I love (laughs) And that's that's now, I can't remember what I was going to say now, so that's the end of that answer. No, I was listening. Players players fill in the gaps. Here we go, you see. You you, actually... (laughs) In the last 12 seconds, you've paid more attention than either of these two guys have. For the whole <laughs> <laughs> That's genius. I love that. This is the glue that holds this whole thing together. There we go. All of a sudden, this thing's got meaning now. Tess is around. Oh, my gosh. We've probably been treading more, Neil. It'll get good for now. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I'll be, I've, just been, I've just been waiting for this minute. You know, I've just been waiting for <laughs> I'll carry on for a moment until somebody stops me. Yeah. Um, it, it is the scenario that we know that players fill in, in, in the gaps because we've already said that we know that, that we as human beings will view others' expectations of us as higher than what they actually are. So it's all very well and good, coaches, and I, and I, can, I can almost – you know, hear it now from, from people that are listening. I can hear coaches saying, well, yeah, I, I absolutely do tell players what the expectations are. Unfortunately, that doesn't do the job. It's important 
But the real important part of the communication is to make sure that we undercut, we cut the legs from the bit where players will fill in the gap and add that bit on top. So not only not only should we be telling players what our expectations are, the key is to tell players what our expectations are not. Yep. And, and that second part is actually probably the vital piece of the jigsaw because we're pretty sure that we know that that you know at the start of a session coaches good especially good coaches will say you know what is it we're doing today what are the expected outcomes what am i hoping to get from you what am i looking to achieve how does this fit into the season how does this fit into um you know the phase of the coaching process at the moment but that still leaves that opportunity for players to fill in the gaps and go well, i know you said you want that but but I also know that you probably want this and this and this as well. Mm-hmm. And what we've got to do uh, as coaches is we've got to cut the legs from underneath that. We've got to try and make that gap between what players perceive coaches' expectations are of us and our own ability and, and actual probably expect what the actual expectations are. We've got to try and reduce that gap. It'll never go to zero, but we've got to try and reduce it rather than letting it go in the other direction. And if you're in a selection scenario as well, that only gets higher because you start looking for things that coaches will expect. And the damaging thing here in terms of communication is that if I tell you what my expectations are of you, and if I'm really good and I tell you what my expectations are not, then hopefully I've closed that gap. But if 30 minutes later during the middle of the session, I congratulate somebody for doing a cross-field aerial that was 40 metres long, all the other players that that is not an expectation of pick up on that and go, oh, right, so that's what coach wants. And all of a sudden you start to extend that gap again. Yeah. So you've got to be really, really careful at going, you know, if I say, yeah, well, well, you know, oh, great ball. Or, yes, that's what, you know, that's the area we're trying to attack. No, 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 not you lot. Yeah. That's what I want you doing. I don't want anybody else doing that. So so it really is about the, the two elements of the communication are about what my expectations are, but for lockdown, for selection, for just in general, making absolutely sure that players don't fill those gaps that are there and we, we tell them what, what we don't expect and what we're not expecting. Does that answer your question, uh, Gibbo? Yeah, it does. And it's brought um, some stuff flooding back from your model that you present on the day, the perceptions of demand and the perceptions of your own performance and really interesting in stuff to, and thank you for recapping it again. I guess this gives a nice opportunity to circle back to test because we asked your question because we didn't know where you would be with training finishing. So we asked a bit when you talked to me and Mike about um, coming out of, well, coming into this phase, into the 2021 phase, and there's stuff on the horizon, selection points, and just how you're feeling now with like a, a challenging block of training and stuff coming up. What's, uh, what's the process that you're going through? And just if you wanted to... Uh, you'd articulate that better than I did. So if you want to do that and then Neil can pick up and add on to what he, he already talked about, that would be useful. 
Yeah, I've uh, I've been in a bit of a strange headspace because I've been um, managing an injury for the last cu- couple of months, and um, I was almost back at the beginning of the week, and then had a had a setback again, um, and so I'm start- starting again, and my headspace has really changed over the last couple of months between seeing rehab as an opportunity to get fitter and develop strength and things like that and then the disappointment of it taking longer than I thought um and the fears of like people almost like catching me up or um or losing my place or things like that and watching the hockey and then I had a meeting with our coaches today um and I've come out uh, in a completely different headspace because it kind of links to what you said about um about the expectations and what they expect of me and what they don't and they don't expect me to be on the pitch tomorrow so that's obviously out of my control straight away but they do expect me to work as hard as I can to get back on the pitch and then I said to them there's going to be some like feelings around trying to I don't know almost prove myself when I'm back like that will probably naturally happen but I'm going to try really hard to to not let that happen because they said the only thing that we expect of you is is to be yourself and that's kind of what we want we don't want you to try and be someone else in the team we just want you to be you and that's all we expect of you and that kind of links nicely to what you're saying because it kind of settled me down and my like heart rate completely dropped and I was feeling much more relaxed <laughs> and uh, felt like things were in my control again um so that's kind of where I've been at, at the moment and um and then yeah we had a training move to three to five and then obviously training only ever finishes at five thirty. so <laughs> there I am yeah I'm, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed that you've allowed training to uh, take precedence over uh Mike's podcast <laughs> but that's that's fine I we now know where your priorities lie that's great I love that um and, and what you've what you've just said there I mean halfway through you talked about um you, you mentioned about other players catching up and and you had the, the other you know the three of us all smiled at the same time because one of the key things that we've talked about um when when uh when, when Gibbo did his role playing and was was play, role playing as you for a little bit earlier and and putting putting that question as as kind of you you know as you've set it out there one of the things that we talked about was trying to avoid the culture of catch up the culture of compensating for lost time, whatever that means. So when you said, you know, about worrying worrying about other people catching you up and you wanting to accelerate and get, you know, staying ahead, that that was something that we had as that discussion. And and as you've quite rightly said there, um, coaches have told you what the expectations are, but they've brilliantly told you what the expectations are not as well. Um, and, and that actually, ironically, was probably, as you said there, the thing that calmed you down a little bit. Yeah. Um, so you know, from from my point of view, there's there's a a great you know great a, a great example of of good practice in terms of doing the thing in terms of expectations, but also cutting the legs off your aim to try and go over and above that and and, and achieve a set of expectations which you think they might have of you, which now you know they actually don't. So that works beautifully, um, and, and you you know you you. You know, if, if we weren't in a COVID scenario and we weren't in a uh, and we weren't in a post injury or or end stage injury rehab process, uh, you would you would try and develop at a particular rate. 
that rate over your career is something that you have established as the rate which is most optimal for you to be able to improve on things, to, to see development, et cetera. That, that's the rate that you're looking at. Because there is such a fine line that if you go above that, you, you, there's a possibility of the kind of breakdown that you talked about earlier on this week. Uh, and if you're below that, then you're, you're probably not satisfying your own desire to want to see development occurring. So, yeah, it, it becomes a very, very fine line. So in my first, I guess, two years of being part of the CP, thing, a rate of progression. And so that's the rate of progression that I want to see consistently. You, you, the, the reception just went there. Do you mind just repeating that test? Sorry, I just oh, missed sorry. Oh, no, um, no. I just missed the first part of what you said. So when you talk about rates of progress, do you yeah. mean that over the last two years I've been accelerating at a certain pace or the last five years and I expect that to happen for the rest of my career? But that's that, So that's what I want, but it's not necessarily going to happen that way. Is that what no, it, it's not going to happen that way. But, but you, you during that time presumably will have kind of gauged where you have felt comfortable in terms of the amount of work that you're doing and the amount of progress that, that you have control of in terms of what it is that you do to try and improve. And, and I think it's, it's a case of trying to look for that comfort zone when you feel as though you're, you're pushing it a bit too much probably with experience you actually are if, if you know if, if you feel as though oh it's it's not quite going I'd probably be a little bit careful of the wanting to go wanting to push on a little bit more but I'd certainly if you are feeling as though yeah I'm I'm starting to almost getting to the stage where the next foot that's going down as I'm as I'm racing towards improvement it's almost it's not because I'm I'm going along smoothly. I'm putting my next foot down in order to stop me from falling. When you get to that stage, that becomes the stage to go, yeah, actually, I'm probably just starting to feel a little bit out of my comfort zone. And for very good reason, if you're feeling uncomfortable, that's probably a red flag in terms of pushing yourself too hard, working to expectations which are probably not realistic, other people's predominantly. And so I think you know, especially when you've got to your level, you're absolutely right. There probably has been, you, you've noticed an acceleration which has increased, but 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 you've probably felt comfortable with that. And I think that's a good gauge of, of where you are and where you want to be carrying on. We're all, we're all reasonably good at knowing what we want, but we're also reasonably good at knowing how comfortable we are in how much we're doing to achieve that. And And, and I think, you know, paying attention to that becomes really important and, and you're, you're doing a double one because that's coming back from lockdown but it's also coming back from injury Did that, does that answer your question yeah that's that's really interesting because it's this the, the thing that coaches tell me the most is to just be patient um and that over time progression will happen and it doesn't doesn't happen overnight i um i want to see results quickly um and so i think um, as a young player in a team where you have senior athletes who are at the end in their mature stage of their career they know who they are um, as a player and I'm still l learning all of those attributes figuring yeah. it out um, have a 
strong sense of identity, but want to but want to see where that can go, sort of thing. Um, and so, in a team environment, my question, I guess, is like, how do you manage your um, your you're looking at these players who know who they are on the pitch um, and you want to aspire to have that, but you've got to remember that you're on your own journey. Yeah, I think, um, I think that, that comparison sometimes becomes quite dangerous, doesn't it? That, 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 that looking at other people that are, everybody's at slightly different stages. Uh, everybody's go accelerating at different rates. Um, and, and, and yeah, I, I, I'm reminded of somebody the other day that um, did a session with some youngsters uh, and put a map of a city that, that all of the youngsters were were familiar with, put a, a map up on the wall and said, um, right, I want you to go from where we are in this room here today and I want you to end up at this place here. And he marked a place on the uh, on the map and he got them all individually to say um, what uh, how they would get there. And so it was different forms of transport and some took roads that they were familiar with. Uh, some took roads that were a little bit kind of straighter going there. Um, others took scenic routes and went via places that they liked. And, and when they'd all finished, when they'd all finished, um, the start point and the end point were exactly the same. But everybody, but everybody took a different route. And, and the point that he was making was that, you know, if you, if you spend your time looking at, or what direction other people are going and thinking that's the right route. Well, that, you know, and you try and follow them. Now, now you're going where you don't know. And you might, if they, you know, if they get through a, a traffic lights and you don't, all of a sudden you find yourself in that situation where now you've got no idea where you're going. So you go, you go and you choose your, you plot your own way to get to where we're going. And, and we'll all do it slightly differently, but we will all end up at the same place. And that ultimately in a team environment, I thought that was quite a nice way of, of looking at it for the youngsters to, to think about that, you know, which, which, way, which way would be best for you in order to be able to get you there, make sure you arrive um, and, and not have too many blips along the way. And of course, there'll be areas that you go through of the city that you're not familiar with. There'll be areas that you're unfamiliar with, but, you know, we're, we're all trying to get to the same point, but it doesn't have to be on the same roads. I think that's massive. And I think it's just not from a team perspective. That's from, you know, I'm, I run my own business. So, you know, you're running your own business, you're comparing your business to other people's business, you're a coach comparing yourself to other coaches, player to other players. Like we're all, we're all traveling in the same direction, but it's all about, like you say, like being happy on your own route and not worrying about somebody else's route in which they're getting there. And, and one way, just just to finish off, Tess, you know, it's always difficult in these scenarios taking a, a case study. You know, I, we've we've been you, you gave me that scenario, and that took you thirty seconds to outline. Um, this is the first time that we've ever spoken to each other. You know, it, it's it's unlikely that I'm going to be able to, to to give you an idea from a bespoke point of view. What I'd be doing in these scenarios, and, and probably your coaches know you, and you, and you may work with a psych anyway. Um, and it doesn't have to be a psych. It can be somebody that, that knows you. It, it doesn't have to be you that plots that journey. It's you plus somebody else or a number of other people whereby, you know, I'd, I'd be, if, if, if you and I were sitting down, I'd be working out trying to find out as quickly as I could in the best way that I could. I'd be trying to find out what it is that that, that you think you're good at. I'd be trying to find out what things 
would be likely to turn you on to 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 want to to do certain things which things are in your comfort zone which things are out of your comfort zone and and use a little bit of those to be able to decide um you know what what it was that was your journey by just having some input into it with you leading that but but that that is that that recipe is going to be different for you than it is for the person who's in the room next door to you um and and you know, you, you can't give generic anything generic. You have to you have to kind of make it tailored to the individual. And there are some things that will push you. There will be some things that 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 light your fire um, and 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 keep you going, which other other people might not might not see as relevant or interesting or whatever. So you know, there's there's that kind of you, you've got to be a little bit careful with it. I'm giving some fairly general advice, but. But it does need to be dovetailed to and, and tailored to what it is that, that that's you know that is specific to you. Really cool. Um, I think we've probably got time for one more question. I know it's a slightly longer episode than normal, but this, there are some absolute gold here. Um, Tess, have you got any more? Have, have you got anything else that you're keen to kind of ask and, and go through whilst we've got Neil with us? Many, many things. Um, <laughs> You've got one. Go for it. One thing. Okay. You've got one, and it's um, going to be a short one, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I've, got, I've got a question around um, maintaining, like, a level um, head, not letting the ups get you up and the downs get you down. And I think I'd be most interested in, in how you manage um, the ups because uh, – I'm someone who enjoys, um, I guess, reliving the good moments, whether that be in hockey or in personal life. Um, and I've heard this phrase, don't let the ups to up, get to up and downs to down. And I'm pretty good at getting myself out of a down place. I know, I know my strategies, but I tend to run away, I think, with, with, the, with the ups. So I wonder if you have any advice. Um. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're absolutely right. That phrase that you've used, uh, it's interesting that that you've identified that actually the upsides are the ones that that are the more difficult things. It, that tends not to be the case with the majority of performers that I work with. You know, they're, they're more worried about the dips and how to get out of those. So that, that's fascinating. And again, we just talked a minute ago about. What is it specific to you that we would plot the journey for you? You've just said that you're okay about getting out of the troughs, getting out of the dips. That would be very different than somebody else. So when we're plotting your journey, we, we absolutely are answering the question that you've just asked. We're thinking about the times when things are going well. Um, I, I, I use the phrase, hold on to the line. Uh, I don't know whether you have any interest in space travel, um, but but the idea of you know when 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 astronauts go outside of their craft and and they uh, you know they do a spacewalk, they are tethered uh, to the craft by a, um, a, a, a being latched onto a fairly short uh, line which is attached to a very tight, taut, and strong wire which goes from one end of the craft to the other. And it basically means that they can float around, but they're never going to be any further from that line than the length of the tether that they've got to that line. And and, and I kind of try and, and, and put that picture together for people to say, let's use this phrase, hold on to the line. 
Yeah, we can go above. We don't want to go too far above. We can go below. Don't go too far below. So that's the, uh, you know, that's the picture. That's the kind of illustrating illustration. That's the imagery that that you might want to use when somebody uses that phrase. The biggest thing for me is I, I don't mind the emotions that go with what you've just talked about. Yeah, those those kind of highs, those elations, that happiness, that that desire and fulfillment. I'm quite happy with all of those. The only times they only times that they become dangerous are when they become behaviors. So all emotions that any of us have are inevitably all followed by a behavior of some kind. Yeah. Doesn't matter what the emotion is, doesn't matter what the behavior is, but they will be inextricably linked. Doing nothing is a behavior. Yeah. So in some circumstances, you'll have emotions where you go, oh, I'm just I'm not bothering. That, that's a behavior. Doing nothing is a behavior. On the other end of that scale, doing lots in very generic terms, when you have emotions which result in behaviors that take you away from what it is that you are supposed to do, they elevate you into the area where you're aiming at expectations which are inappropriate, which perceptually are wrong, etc., so for me, I'm not bothered, but I, I want you to have those. I, I'd love it for you to be elated. I want you to be happy. I want you to be fulfilled. I want you to be excited. I want you to have all of those. But my caution is always going to be, tell me, and this is where you and I would sit down, tell me what behaviors those emotions bring about. Because it's the behaviors that it brings about that are the things that will undermine what it is that you're trying to achieve. They're the things that will cause you to do, you know, behave in a maladaptive way. They'll cause you to work too hard. They'll cause you to do things where you get ahead of yourself. So don't, don't worry too much for me. And, and, you know, different people might, might, might go about this differently. We, we all have different ways of operating. For me, I have no bother with the emotional responses. I don't want in any way to dampen those down. Enjoy it. But have a think for yourself, write down each one of the emotions that you've had, which have been positive in the last two years of your career. And tell me in general, because there will be patterns, because we are all um, animals of habit. We do things fairly constantly in certain circumstances. Tell me what those habits are. Write those habits down. Tell me when you have an emotion of this, what do you do? What is the behaviors that come with it? Do you go out and do an extra training session? Do you try and hit the ball harder? Do you try and, and impress, manage the impression others have of you a little bit more? Do you try and hold back the emotions that you display to other people? Do you not? Tell me what those behaviours are, and then you yourself will start to work out which ones of those behaviours are the ones that are taking you away from what it is that you should be doing. And that will enable you to be able to hold on to the line. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that's that's really interesting because well, I, I think of it in a performance sort of way. And um, like I've heard aim for a six out of 10. But my, my brain doesn't want to aim for a six out of 10. It wants to aim for a 10 out of 10. And so when I achieve the 10 out of 10, which it will never happen, but that's what I'm aiming for. Let's say it's like a nine out of 10 in, in my own head. Then um, the behaviors, I guess, that you're talking about, they trick me into thinking that that will happen again. 
And so when I do perform then like a six out of 10, for me in my brain, it's like a two out of 10. And then that spirals. So that's really interesting to think about enjoying the fact that you have performed well or you've had a good time and then coming back to sort of a, a, a ground zero to restart again. I wonder yeah. if that's sort of like a you wake up in the morning and you reset sort of thing. You can do it how you want. Again, it needs to be tailored to how you, you know, if you're good at that, if you're good at reset, do reset. Yeah. I've just worked with a guy just very quickly. I've just worked with a guy, Indian uh, guy, just did the Dakar rally. Are you all familiar with the Dakar rally? Paris, yeah, yeah. It used to be Paris to Dakar. This this year, it, it was in Saudi Arabia um, uh, for, for lots of geopolitical reasons. Um, th- this guy is is just like all of us in a sport which is slightly different. The guy, you know, I mean, you do the Dakar rally. That's three and a half thousand miles on a bike in 12 days. Yeah, you're doing 300, 400 miles on dunes, through rocks, where nobody, you know, the only people you see out, the only things you see out there are camels. And when he's doing well, he gets worse because he gets confident and the behaviours for him that come with confidence involves him pulling the accelerator. Wow. So now all we're doing with him in terms of holding the line are going, when you're doing well, slow down. Not slow down. We're using slow down. But in his terms, he wants to be going slower than what he thinks he's capable of. Because otherwise, he's going to hit a camel or he's going to hit a rock. And he's not just going to end his rally. He's going to die. Mm. Yeah? Big time. So in those circumstances, those circumstances, we needed to find out what the behaviours were that, res- that came about as a result of the confidence emotions that he was experiencing. So his mantra was, hold on to the line, do the process. When I'm confident, slow down. Actually, that didn't mean slow down. That meant go back to <laughs> what his optimum pace was for him to be able to be safe, for him to be able to um, do his navigation whilst on a bike in 45 degrees of heat, it, it, with, with when there is no 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 trees, no lampposts, just dunes, where you have no idea where you're going other than just having some instructions. Drive 17 miles and then turn 70 degrees right. Yeah. So he's got to do all, he's got to do all of that. Now you know what? If he goes too fast, he may not crash, but he may go 18 miles. Now what? Now what angle have you got to go? So he's got to do all of those things. So we needed to make sure that we worked. We worked for a year solidly on being able to get him to hold on to the line. He came in twentieth. He's just finished last weekend. He came in twentieth. The highest Indian ranked ever was thirty eighth before that, um, and so he's absolutely delighted. And every day we spoke. Um, via the wonders of modern technology. And, and I could just hear him say, I, I went slow today and my navigation was brilliant. And there were people in the top 10 who were going past me once. And then I was, they were passing me again. He said, one guy in the top 10 passed me four times on one day. Well, that's because he, 
That's because he was going too quickly and went wrong and had to circle round and come back and re-overtake him. And that's the balance you've got. So do not do anything with those emotions. Enjoy them. Have all the positive ones you possibly can. But just have a think about what behaviours happen with you, not with anybody else. Think about what behaviours and also what other thoughts, because what tends to happen is you get this upward spiral. Just like you get the downward spiral, you get the upward spiral. You get that confidence and you go, oh, I'm going to have some more of that. And therefore, I'm going to do this. And you're going to try things. And all of a sudden, risk-taking behaviours start. And that's when your nines become threes. I hope I've I've given at least just one perspective on answering your question there, Tess. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Very cool. Um, Right, I think we're going to end it there. That hour has gone so fast. Like, I've thoroughly, I've been in awe, just loving listening to you today, Neil. So I, you know, I just want to start by saying thank you. Um, Thank you for your time and and thank you for some incredible insights. yeah, I, like generally thoroughly enjoyed it. So, yeah, thank you very much. Um, thank, you. Thank, you. thank you for inviting me. Thanks for, uh, you know, in, in other circumstances, I'd never have had the opportunity to see Gibbo role players test. That, that's that's done it for me. <laughs> I can't <laughs> wait to see this. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose, Neil, we're even now, aren't we? We are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what. Yeah. yeah. But no, thank, thank you. Thank you very much. No, really enjoyed this and thank you for coming on and uh, agreeing to do it and, yeah, sharing your time. It's been an hour on the call and half an hour before that, so really appreciate that. Yeah, it's been amazing. Um, Great to meet you, Neil. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, good luck, Tess. Um, say um, say hi to Sabby for me, will you? I will. Oh, oh, of course. <laughs> um, cool. Thank you very much. Uh, Tess, thank you for joining us eventually. Uh, and we look forward to seeing all of you lot next week. Thank you all very much again. See you later. Stay Bye. safe, everybody. Bye. Cheers.